Welcome to the What Comes Next podcast, where we speak with former college and pro athletes that have walked away from organized sports, discussing the ups and the downs of transitioning to a more normal life. If you know anyone that would be interested in sharing their story, contact me at crbsandboylu at bluescreativelab.com or head over to at Cortland Blueford on Instagram. Now that the warm-up is done, let's get into the workout. Hi, my name is Cortland Blueford, uh, host of the What Comes Next podcast. Uh, I, I grew up in a very competitive household located in Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. We call that the DMV. Uh, we, we, you know, you kind of travel through without with the 495-95. So shout out to the DMV. People are very aware of that. Uh, but I can't remember an age uh, that I started to play sports, basketball, football, baseball, getting into X Games weren't a thing at the time, but wanting to rollerblade, teaching myself how to ride a bike. But, you know, a lot of different things, just being competitive in nature with my older brother, who's a year older than me. Shout out to Jay. Uh, And I can't remember a time where I was active without some type of sports being involved, man. I, I just can't. And being competitive, wanting to naturally just get better at it. So, Wanting to be learn new tricks on the skateboard, wanting to be able to shoot to three before I can shoot free throws, which is completely backwards. But wanting to and one was big when I was younger, so wanted to learn the the latest and one mixtape moves. Uh, but I, I just can't remember a time where I wasn't, and I wasn't good up until middle school. Um, and I remember in middle school, my my coach, my brother, was this amazing, amazing athlete. Um, Jay was one of the top quarterbacks in in PG County in the state of Maryland. At a young age, he had always been great, man. He was he's an all-American and everything. And from school down, and I was the the black sheep. I was this bad kid. But we that's a whole different thing. Uh, and the coach had picked me up on the team at Occidental Middle School because uh, I was Jay's little brother, and Jay had done so well for. He didn't go to that middle school, but Jay was a legend, so they picked me up. Last game of the season, uh, and. I remember he put me in with 0.3 seconds left, and I was I was livid, man. I was pissed. I didn't. I kind of looked at him and looked over the opposite direction and crossed my arms because I had no plan on going in the game. And he he came over to me, squatted down in front of me, and you think a coach would give you some great words, but no fault of his own. It's it's middle school, and he tells me you should be grateful to even be on this team or even get in in this time. I'm only doing this for your brother, and that switched everything for me that that's where I went from kind of timid and scared and mind you I played AAU with some of the the best players some pros right now NBA guys some are in the NFL uh so we could I could go down that line and I don't I don't really want to drop names on that subject but that clicked it for me from that point on that was seventh grade eighth grade I came back and I was the best I'd never not been the best on the team since uh, even going out through through college and then getting to the pro level is a little bit challenging. But I I, I want to say all of that because even though me being completely dedicated and obsessed, I still fell short of my goal in terms of being this grandiose NBA player that was going to retire playing basketball at 60 years old in my mind and never walk away from the sport. And it wasn't necessarily a love for it, like an obsession, and it was more so a passion, and it was 
convenient and it was something that I was able to do in my community and and it was something constant that I could build friends and have a great time and I was a local celebrity and it, it that can go on and on but I wanted to share my story uh, because it was a different transition a very difficult transition to go from one of the top college athletes uh, in the NE10 just in general NCAA uh, being a thousand point scorer uh, breaking records, being one of the top guys on campus and, and projected to play professionally, to me not being able to play pro and, and not being able to find a job because I had no internships under my belt like other kids that were in my class or not having built the right relationships. I mean, not being able to find a job because I have no work experience or I had played basketball so much that it was like I had no skills in my mind I hadn't been taught to transition those skills in a resume to present it to employers. So that's what this is about, is running through the story of myself and some of my friends and, and colleagues that play professional basketball that are now, or college basketball that are now entrepreneurs, that now work a nine to five, that now have families. And we're going to quote unquote call it a normal life, but they were able to to make that transition. But more importantly, is they're not talking about just the success of their transition, but the difficulties of their transitions. Because we we all kind of had that that difficult point. And me, I'm still dealing with that difficult point of going from I'm an athlete, I'm one of the best, to I used to be an athlete. Now I'm a graphic designer, I'm a web designer, I'm an app developer, I'm a, a son, I'm a boyfriend, I am, like, all of these things that I am where I'm not just an athlete anymore. So I want to take you through that, and uh, I want you to leave this episode knowing my story and eager to hear other stories like that, that people are going to offer insight from their sport, and it's not just basketball, and it's not just professional, but it's athletes after they finish their college soccer careers, their college hockey careers, their college football careers, their college water polo careers, like, we're going to go through the struggles, the ups and downs, and what we learn from their stories. So I want to take you back. Uh, for me in high school, I wasn't, uh, I, was, I was one of the minorities there, obviously. And uh, I did, I did a great, great things in, in high school. Pilates, I, I loved it there. That was one of my best things. But I started out at St. John's. A little bit more diverse, but again, I played with some of the largest names in in college basketball history, but then some are in the pros as well. And we're not going to name drops, but I had the I was playing football and basketball at the time. And my brother, again, all American standout quarterback, and and he he was amazing. But I had to pick a sport, and I chose basketball. Basketball for me was a little bit easier. Uh, I could just practice on my own. Uh, and looking back, I should have chose baseball. So if you kids are on the line about what sport to play, pick baseball because right out of high school you're making bank. But that's a whole different that's a whole different story. Uh, my my junior year, I ended up transferring to Pilates, and I remember scoring sixty three or something the first game, something where it was like this monumental number, and that that helped my mindset to know like, oh yeah, I got this. I still got it. So I'm, I'm moving forward, and I was mentored by Enos Watley. Uh, his son, uh, Junior Enos Wiley Jr., played on my team, which was great knowing the the two of them. Enos had a strong mind, man, and that was strong ego. And I, I I learned a lot from Junior as well as Senior, man. That was a that's a great relationship. 
And then I graduated in 2006 with a scholarship to Assumption College. Now, I only chose Assumption because of two things. Uh, and one was because I saw, I met a, James, uh, I met a gentleman named James Lambert and uh, another gentleman named Elijah Bland, who I'll, I hopefully I, I have both of them on the show, uh, on the podcast. And they were two minorities on the team. And James was familiar with Maryland. He was from Maryland. So that helped. But then two is the coach. Uh, he was honest with me during my visit there. Unlike some of the other coaches, was the coach told me flat out, like, I got I have a solid team. You probably won't start until your your sophomore junior year. And that to me that was honesty. That was that was honest. Now, me in my mind, I'm like, yeah, okay, coach, sure. Yeah, you can say that if you want, but I know what I'm gonna do. So it went on to be this great relationship between he and I uh during my four years there. And I ended up starting all four years. So I came in strong. My summer was strong, but I started all four years, uh, and it was it was strange before Midnight Madness. So Midnight Madness, I think, is October fifteenth this year. It's two thousand six, and uh, two thousand six, two thousand seven, and Midnight Madness is the first day that college teams are allowed to pick up a basketball and and do organized teams events. So at midnight, they do this showcase of like ball handling, like the men's and women's team, dunk contests, a bunch of things. And uh, prior to this, my pod, the guys that were my pods so were like, Dan was my roommate, Mike, uh, Brendan, I could, I could go on and name a bunch of guys. We were, we were all great friends there in my pod in, uh, in that dorm. They were the only guys that were cool with me. Uh, and uh, Brian, shout out to Brian Collier, man. We we used to play mini golf uh, on on Nintendo all day and go up to the minute in terms of class. Uh, so like once class started, we knew we would run down to to the class and we were playing video games and put it on pause and be pissed at somebody if they unpause the game. We were playing mini golf for hours, man. But they were the only group of friends that I truly had prior to anyone knowing that I played basketball. So I, I forever have a debt to those to those guys, and I still keep in contact with some of them to this day. Uh, but after Midnight Madness, a lot of people changed their attitude towards me. A lot of people were standoffish. They didn't want to acknowledge me. They didn't want to say hi. But then after Midnight Madness happened and I became more of a, a known name on campus, the relationship changed. And not, I'm not blaming Assumption. I'm blaming Assumption had nothing to do with that. This is more so the people on campus. And Maybe it was me. Maybe it was something I, I was a vibe I was giving off. But it wasn't many minorities on that campus, so it was a little different in terms of uh, the relationship I had. And I realized that basketball played a huge influence on my acceptance after that after that time. So as time goes on, I, I there are a lot of records that that I'm a part of. Uh, I'm a thousand point scorer. My name's up on a banner at the school. Uh, I used to get shoes all the time in the mail. I used to get, yeah, that's a whole different story with the NCAA, but I knew my performance would reward me in some type of sense. And, but those four years were not, those weren't like the highlight for me. It was think of me, I was counting down four years so I can hurry up and go to pro. Like how many years am I from pro? Okay. My sophomore year. Okay. I got three left. Okay. All right. I need to, I need to get ready and prepare mentally to play pro and all right, I got I'm my junior year. Okay, I got two to play pro. I mean, I had been playing the net since I was a kid, shooting free throws out on the court in front of the house, like 
playing against my shadow or shooting free throws out in front of the court just to say, like, okay, if I make this one, I'll be playing pro. If I missed it, ah, the wind was in the way or oh, the sun was in my eye. Let me shoot that again because there's no way I'm not playing pro. Let me make this one. And that, for me, I mean, that was that was amazing for me. Was Those four years were a great learning experience for me. I, I met some amazing people that I still have relationships today. But I had five very influential people in my life on that campus, and that was it was a brother, uh, brother Amin. I used to shake hands and say hi to before every game, and then at halftime of every game, my head coach, uh, and our president, uh, my head coach Serge DeBerry, and our our school president Fred, uh, President Cesareo was there during my time, and uh, two coaches, the one assistant coaches, the one that recruited me uh, from New Jersey at. Uh, the Hoop Group event, which was uh, Coach Sanchez and then Coach Miller. Those two were heavy, heavy influences on my life. Uh, definitely during college when I was really, really reckless. Uh, but the transition, to get into the focus of the transition, I just wanted to say all of that to tell you, like, I worked nonstop. I never went to parties. I used to go to the gym in the middle of the night. Like, and, and campus police would kick me out, and then I learned to sleep up in the rafters where they couldn't find me, and then I would, I would wait until they left, and they locked the doors to where I would stay there, and you got mice running over top of you some, some nights, and you, you just want to shoot around, you just want to play, and you wait till campus police comes back, because you know when the cars are pulling up, so you, you go hide again, but the lights were motion censored, so they were trying to figure out what was going on, why the lights were on. Uh, I was completely and utterly dedicated to basketball, because in my mind, it was only a matter of time before I played pro. Come the end of the season, and uh, my head coach, Coach Sanchez and Coach Miller are gone by now, uh, and my head coach at this time asked me what my plans were once I graduated. And I knew he had helped out some guys before me play professional basketball, so I, I was, I mean, I thought it was obvious, like, Coach, I want to play professional basketball. Like, that's, that's my goal. And he kind of looked at me behind his desk, he leaned back, and uh, he said I should think about some other things besides playing pro. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't help me. And I, sh- I was shocked, man. I'd, I'd done so much for you. I remember, I mean, I messed up my ankle. My ankle's still messed up. It's, it's nine, nine years later, and I can't really flex my ankle. And I played on a broken ankle, and, and it healed funny. And I did a lot for you, and I, I guess you could say the school did a lot for me, or he did a lot for me, but like... I was just so caught off guard, man, that he he wanted me to get a job and fall into this quote-unquote normal life. And there's no problem with the normal life, but I, I had chosen for myself to play professional basketball and to hear my head coach tell me to not chase that. And then what ends up happening is I, he, he gets me a job selling Nantucket Nectars. I mean, again, my confidence was in my coach, so I kind of followed his lead. And that was a great experience. I was working with this gentleman named Dewey and his it was a great experience selling Nantucket Nectars, learning that sale, that sales process and, and, and being able to time my day properly and going from location to location and learning responsibility, learning how to use Excel to prove my work and, and go through that process. It was a great experience and I appreciate Polar Beverages doing that. But a great thing happened to me. Uh, during my time of selling Nantucket Nectars, in the morning I would work out before, and sometimes I would have to drive two or three hours down to Connecticut to meet 
a sales rep or to meet. And I, I lived in Worcester at the time and to meet, uh, to go to the store and do certain things. But I still had that itch of basketball. So when I got back, I would be running fields or I would be uh, running a football field, working out at local gyms, playing basketball at night to then wake up at again at 4, 35, 6 a.m. to run and do things uh, basketball related. But the good thing that happened to me was they wanted to transition me from Polar Beverages to Snapple 7-Up, which is a larger corporation. And for some reason, that fell through. They said my resume didn't add up to why I had the job at Polar Beverages and selling anti-connectors. So I wasn't able to become a person in a higher position with the corporation. So I had two options. It was either to find another job and beg for my job back with Polar, which they... They eventually told me, like, I couldn't get that job back. It's not that I asked, but they told me, like, that that process was already done. Or I can chase this dream of playing basketball. And uh, I ran with the thought of playing basketball, man. I, I went, and this is going to sound crazy. It's dealing with the ego thing is I, I went on unemployment. Uh, and I was, I was only getting maybe maybe three or $400 every, every week. I think it was about 300 and, and maybe $15 a week. And it wasn't enough. It was enough to pay rent. And then I lived off of like this just minor food as I was preparing myself and trying to get teams and sending out YouTube videos of me in college and splicing up video and doing a lot of different things to kind of move forward with my professional career, traveling all over the place throughout Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey to go to tryouts. And that's why I learned a lot of the tryouts that you pay for, uh, they're, they're more so just hustles. They're people trying to collect. And, and I, I learned, I ended up learning from a lot of the vets that were trying out. When you get invited to a tryout uh, and you're paying, it's the same as AAU. If you're paying for it, you're covering the cost of the guy that's not paying for it. Uh, and those are the guys that they are truly looking at, or the gentlemen that are not paying to try out. Uh, and that's that same AAU, AAU is if you're paying for AAU team, more than likely you're covering the cost of the best player and the second best player because they're not paying. And that's that's kind of frustrating to deal with because now I was this this guy trying to build his reputation back up in the industry and trying to get get a pro contract, but. I have to thank Ralph Allen because he ended up introducing me, which was a, a freak meet. Uh, I just so happened followed somebody named Brandon to, uh, in, in Jordan. Jordan owns a, a large company. Brandon is associated with him uh, to Sports Club LA, which ironically now I work at the hotel right next door, the Ritz-Carlton, where now it's called Equinox. But at the time, this was five, six years ago prior to me even thinking I would ever work at a hotel, they, they introduced me to Ralph Allen. Ralph Allen was connected with a professional sports team out of uh, Canada, the NBL of Canada. And he, he gave me one opportunity. Uh, and it was, it was a sketchy opportunity where thinking back, it was crazy, but it worked. I, I didn't have a passport and my parents or my parents had supported me and, and, but they still wanted me to get a job, and nobody thought I'd play pro. Like family, friends, I, Walter and Dominique were probably the only two. Those are close friends of mine, and maybe some people around the city. I was telling I was a pro athlete, and I wasn't yet, but I was telling them I was. 
And they, my friends here in the city in Boston, they supported me. But I didn't yet have a passport. And at the time, you could travel with your driver's license and your birth certificate, original birth certificate. And Ralph Allen said, okay, I'll give you a shot. Come with me to Quebec, to Quebec City uh, in Canada. There's a team. They'll let you try out. And it was me, this gentleman that I, it was a rival of mine in college, Darren Duncan. He was a rival from Merrimack. Uh, and it was w- the three of us in this small car. And we, I just went on a whim. I, I didn't see any two ways about it. It wasn't a thought. It was like, this is my chance. I'm going. Okay. Yeah. When do we go? Let's go. I, we drove up. The weird part, side story, is we get to the border and Ralph almost isn't let across. I, I don't know what that situation was. It was weird. It was like he had a charge or something happened where they weren't going to let us across and they were just going to hold him there. Me, I was looking like, oh my goodness, here we go. Like, oh, I'm going to get stuck at the border. I got a call to figure out. I just, my opportunity's blown. But they ended up letting us through and we're driving, I'd say from Vermont, it's about three hours. It's about three hours from the border to Quebec City, something, something of that nature, three, four hours, and uh, middle of the snowstorm, and we get there, and we're in Quebec City, and I'm staying at this hotel. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous hotel, huge chandelier. I have a picture of it uh, from years ago, and I find out it's not a tryout. It's actually a game. They want to sign us for a temporary contract to see how we perform and then they'll go from there. So we get there, they give us jerseys and we, they introduce us to the team. Uh, first person I met was David Cooper from that team and, and he's blessed with the family and things now. So I appreciate him, but it was a, the St. John Mill Rats, man. And Ian McCarthy, it, it, they helped me out tremendously. Jaron Jackson, they, they went above and beyond, man. And what ended up happening was I, I played a terrible game was doing layups where, like, my forearm was above the rim. So I should have been dunking it, but it would, like, hit the back of the rim. Doing layups hits the back of the rim. It, a lot of things. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, there's no way I'm, I'm going to make it. So we're driving home after the game, and uh, Ralph, Ralph shoots me a text, like, yeah, man, pack your stuff. They want you to come to St. John." That was that was the the first man. That was the first for me, but there was a there was this large period of going from college to that period of not playing professionally, and that there is is what this is about. And that was the hardest period for me. It's identity crisis. How do I? Am I still an athlete? Am I not an athlete? I was one eighty five all the time, but now I was. I went through a breakup and. I lost my mind and I, I was terrible eating habits continued, but I wasn't working out as much or as hard. I wasn't burning the calories I should have been because I wasn't playing competitively. I was just working out. And uh and it 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 was it was difficult because I'm I'm a pro athlete I'm a athlete. I'm a pro athlete in my mind. And I'm working out at MIT and I'm working out at Harvard and meeting all these other guys and meeting all these these other pros. And I'm able to compete with them, and they're asking me where I'm playing, but I don't, I don't have anywhere that I'm playing. So that was, it was difficult, man. It was difficult mentally for me. And then to go from, I played pro for four or five years after that, after the Quebec situation, both in the U.S., and I played in Canada, and I played in Dominican Republic. Uh, and then that, that period came again. 
where I wasn't able to find a job post my professional career. Now, thankfully, I was saved by some of the vets that played pro balls. They told me to get out immediately. Now, I was working on web design and graphic design at the time, but I mean, that was a, a skill I learned in college on free time just because, uh, you know, I, I wanted to relax more. But I ended up falling in. That was my true passion because I'd always been drawing as a kid. I just never focused on it. And those gentlemen telling me, like, get out as soon as possible, you have a degree, was monumental. You don't, hear, you don't listen the first few times, but when a lot of these guys are in their 30s and 40s and they're, they're making good money playing professional basketball, but they're celebrating holidays uh, through Skype. They're celebrating birthdays with their kids through Skype. They're celebrating anniversaries with their girls through Skype and through phone calls. And that's all they can do. And when they retire, they're aware that all they can do is teach summer camp. Uh, they can teach basketball camps. Or they just get sales positions because they don't have an experience. That for me is, that helped me leave. But then again, I was in this downward spiral because now again, I'm at this identity crisis. So I don't know where I'm going to work, who I'm going to work for. Am I going to be an entrepreneur? How do I get started? Where do I start? I don't have the funding for it. I, I gave all my money away and I, I, to family and friends, and I'm, I'm trying to figure this thing out. Do I teach sports? I don't really care about basketball. I want to do this. Graphic design, web design, WordPress just came out. So I'm, I'm trying to figure this all out, and I, I have no idea where to go. So I go home. I'm home, and I'm embarrassed. Because I used to visit home and it was this huge thing in the cul-de-sac down in Maryland. It was Cortland's back. He's out shooting. He's talk to the kids, involve yourself and everything. And now I'm just at home. I got my car, I got all my stuff packed up. And I, I'm not doing anything. I'm there. I'm helping my parents. My parents enjoyed the help, like cleaning and, and doing things around the house. But I got to get a job. I got to get some type of income. And at the time, I mean, I had money, but doing nothing that, that, no, no. And as an athlete, I'm sure many of you can relate, even people that aren't athletes, just the work ethic, doing nothing, it, that, that's not good, man. That's not good at all. So I'm, I'm calling around asking people, can they assist me? And they're getting me interviews or they're getting me phone calls or not interviews, they're more so getting me people, HR people to contact me and I'm sending them my resume and I don't really have anything. So eventually my mom pulled some strings and uh, she got me a job at this recreation center just at the front desk. And I, I put in the same work ethic that I did for sports that I, that I did for this job. But it took a very, very long time, more than six months to find me a job, to get me a gig. And uh, I, I was able to then build up from there. But mentally it hurt because I'm still 26, 27. And I was I was unable to find to find a job. I didn't have any work experience. I didn't have any references. I didn't have anything. At twenty six, twenty seven, people are making more than enough money, and they're not being introduced into the job realm. And here I am, almost thirty, and I'm competing with twenty two, twenty three, twenty four year olds in the job market trying to get started. And that was that was a difficult situation. Now, mind you. I finished out in Montreal, uh, and there was a, a a year period where I didn't get a contract, and I was waiting to hear back from a team that was supposed to call me, and they never did. 
So the the young lady that I was living with at the time, her dad owned uh, a marketing company, I guess you can call it. Like they put up vinyl signs and billboards throughout Montreal. So that's what I did for a whole year was I put up signage throughout the city. That was an amazing learning experience, putting up billboards, putting up vinyl signage, working illegally in another country, getting paid under the table. That's hard work. And I don't know how those people do it. Because you do it no matter what weather is going on in the world. You're up there on top of highways, on the side of highways, just doing the thing. But back to me being back in Maryland, I, w- I felt super insecure. I was unsure of myself, still eating poorly because I had never transitioned my lifestyle to a normal life of n- not burning as many, ca- as many calories. So I'm, I'm overeating. My portion, size are, portion sizes are out of whack. Uh, but... I, it took me a while. It took me a while of reading. Uh, it took me a while of listening to YouTube videos, of inspirational YouTube videos, of understanding basketball was a part of my life. It's not who I am. It was just a part of who I am. And that, that helped motivate me to, to be where I am today. And I'm not, I'm not sure if anyone else has felt that way and if or if they want to talk about the insecurities they had but it was it was with dating I I was didn't want to date because I didn't know how to explain to people I live with my parents at 26 27 and I didn't have a job because I used to play professional basketball but I don't now I felt saw myself as a failure uh, as not successful uh, looking at some of the people that I went to school with some of the kids I went to high school with some of the some of the other people I was playing basketball with that are still playing basketball, but them doing better than me and and comparing myself and it the journey of life is not everybody's on the same track, not everybody's going the same pace. some people it takes them until they're fifty before they the slingshot lets go and it catapults them to their view of success. Some people do it at fifteen and they burn out early so it I, it took me a while to kind of get that when I hit about 28 and I fully became comfortable within myself. But that's a two and a half, three year period of where I have no idea who Cortland Blueford is. And it took a lot. It was a lot. It was pretty frustrating. It, it took a lot of self-learning and writing down and listening again to audiobooks and listening to, to YouTube videos and reading different books for me to understand I'm bigger than just that athlete that I was, but I have a lot of different and other things to me, and I have a lot of things to learn and build skills to where now I have different businesses and different people that I have relationships with that don't even know that I used to play professional basketball. I don't even talk about me being a professional athlete or me playing in college necessarily. They just know I build apps. They just know I know how to do graphic design work, that I can, I can edit documents, and, and I can build websites. And sometimes it comes up, but a lot of times I don't bring it up. I don't even watch sports. And that, that could be due to me still having that itch, but I don't really find an interest in it. And that does it for today's workout. So thank you for joining the What Comes Next podcast. If you know any ex-college or ex-professional athletes that want to get on our show and share their story, please feel free to have them email us at crbsandboylu at bluescreativelab.com or contact me directly on Instagram at Cortland Bluford. I look forward to sharing the next workout with you.